course tonight. Would you guys like to help me? Would you young man? Come on up. You want to help too? Come on. We need all the help we can get. All right. This is, is there anyone here who was not here for the first, for our first session? For our first session? Oh, you have little faith. That's the series. And the first one, uh, the Lord rebuked the disciples because they were filled with care. Anyone need one of those? Violet, do you need one? No? All right. The second one was a couple of weeks ago, and that was because he rebuked them because they were filled with fear. Anybody need one of those? They're only, they're only, they're special this week, a dollar each. All right. No? All right. Let me know. And this is for tonight. And we'll give you some to give on that side. And we'll give you some to give on this side. And you take that side, all right? This side, right here. Right there, down that aisle. Well, it's good to see you tonight. Thank you for being here. It always encourages me to see folks coming out on a... Uh, you know, they say that, um, I know this was certainly true when I pastored, but uh, thank you. Wednesday night usually is the core of the church. And uh, so, it, thank you. So it always thrills my heart to uh, see folks faithful and come out, especially braving the weather that we have. You know, we lived here 25 years ago. And I, we forgot how bad, how bad the, the weather can be here. How, and this past couple of weeks have uh, sort of brought that back, reminded us of the, uh, especially the wind. Wow. Anyway, it's good to see you tonight. I hope you've had a good week. And if you have your Bibles, let's take them tonight and let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. How many, of you, how many of you have read The Pilgrim's Progress? Oh, wow, several of you. The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Okay, uh, The full title, by the way, and I was looking for a copy. I had a copy, but I cannot find it. Um, it was over 100 years old, the copy that I had. But it was one of the original, you know, they've revised it, they've updated it, they've put it in modern day language. Mark, you have a copy, don't you, of the one that's been modernized. Uh, the full title of that book is The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which is to Come. That's a, you know, back in the old days, I don't know if you ever looked at old, old books. They had long titles, Brother Tim, didn't they? I mean, long, long titles. It was written by John Bunyan. He was a Baptist preacher in England, and it was published in February of 1678. And uh, this book is regarded as one of the most significant works of religious English literature. It has been translated into more than 200 languages. Yeah. And has never been out of print. That's amazing. Since 1678, it's never been out of print. Charles, it's said that Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said that he read it, Mark mentioned this a week or so ago, that he read that book a hundred times. A hundred times. How many times have you read it, Brother Sam? 
No, no. Pilgrim's Progress. Twice, okay. I remember reading it in, in Bible school uh, for an English class, I think. Really? Good for you. Good for you. In 1660, Bunyan was arrested and he was sent to the county jail in Bedford, England. We've been there. Matter of fact, in the town square, there's a statue of Bunyan there. And uh, he, 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 he went to the jail for preaching without his license. For preaching without a license. And he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress during his 14 years of imprisonment. And in the story of, it is the story of a Christian on a pilgrimage through this world on his way to the celestial city called heaven. And he tells of the difficult situations encountered by the pilgrim during his lifetime. So one night, as they were traveling, Christian and his companion, Hopeful, they slept on the grounds of Doubting Castle that was owned by a giant named Despair. When the giant found them, he threw them into his dark and nasty dungeon. And every day he beat them, and they were plagued by terrible doubts. They lost their joy, their song, and their hope. I'll tell you how they escaped in a little bit, all right? So just hang on to your seats there. So the question tonight is this, have you ever had doubts Have you ever had any kind of doubts? Anybody here never? No, don't. No, no. Never had doubts? You have your Bibles? Let's read our text. Matthew 14, verse, beginning at verse 22. <clears throat> and straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. It was tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he, the Lord Jesus, said, Come. And when Peter was come out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, and he caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Wherefore, why did you doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Father, I pray you'll help me now to have a clarity, uh, be able to teach this lesson in a clear way. Help me to make it practical. Help me, Lord, to be true to the Word. 
We pray that you'll make a diff- this message will make a difference in each of our lives tonight. Thank you for us being here and for these folks coming out on this windy day. Cold, too. But we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you ever had doubts? That's what the Lord Jesus rebuked them for this time. Because they were doubting. You say, yeah, but he only spoke to Peter. I'll tell you more in just a minute. All right, hang on. So, what did you do? What did you do when you doubted? You know, some Christians live at Doubting Castle. They are plagued with some kind of doubt when the storms of life come. And they may doubt God. They, uh, they may doubt His Word. They may doubt His will for their life. Uh, and sometimes they may even doubt their salvation. I've counseled counsel, uh, countless people who have doubted their salvation uh, down through the years in the ministries that, uh, that the Lord has allowed me in to, uh, to have. Um, boy, there have been many, many who doubted their salvation. And you know what they doubted? It was never, they didn't doubt what God did, what God promised. God said, what, what did Jesus say? If you come unto me, I, what? Huh? I give you rest if you come unto me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. And so they never, they've never doubted. There was, I'll, I'll be honest, there was a time in my life when I went through that. But I didn't doubt what God did, and neither have these individuals. You know what we doubt? We doubt what we did. Did we say the right prayer? Were we in the right place? You know, it, it, it's, what, what did I do? Well, there's nothing that we can do to merit salvation. Amen? And it's all by grace. But here we find the, uh, the disciples here, they're, they're, they're doubting. And of course, there are many people that, that, that do doubt uh, in their Christian walk. So as, as we continue this series of messages, uh, we're, we're going to see that there was a time when the Lord's disciples were living at Doubting Castle. All right? So there are four times, we know that already, there are four times when Jesus rebuked his disciples with those words, O ye of little faith. And uh, the first was in Matthew 6, 24 through 34, because they were filled with care. The second time he rebuked them was in Matthew 8, verse 23 through 27, because they were filled with fear. And uh, now we come to the third time that he rebukes them, and we've already read uh, that portion of Scripture. So, um, why? Why did he rebuke them? Well, first of all, uh, they were filled Point number three, actually, on your lesson, this is the third one. They were filled with doubt. They were filled with doubt. And we're going to look at the circumstance, first of all, okay? Now, this, th- this time occurred during their crossing of the Red Sea. Of, uh, excuse me, the crossing of the Sea of Galilee. And I think it's also called the, the Sea of Gennesaret. Yeah, right. So in Matthew 14, when you read Matthew 14, um, we are told... It may be Sterling and Abigail, yeah. In Matthew 14, we, we, we're told about the death of John the Baptist, okay, whom Herod had killed. And uh, after the disciples went and they retrieved his body, they buried his body, they went and told Jesus. And upon hearing that news, he departs by boat to a desert place by himself. We see that in verse 13. And so news of his departure... You know, whenever Jesus was around, the word got out. The news got out, hey, Jesus is in town. And they were always, wouldn't that be something? 
if people in Cheyenne found out that Jesus was here at Yellowstone Baptist Church, do you believe that? They might come for the wrong reason, and many of them follow the Lord for a wrong reason. Some of them, all they wanted was a free handout. They wanted a free meal. Okay, I'm just saying, wouldn't it be wonderful, though, if people in Cheyenne, if our community found out that Jesus was here, and He is here, by the way. He, he's here. Whenever we meet, He's here with us. And so, <clears throat> the, um, so Jesus departs. News of His departure began to spread and before long, there's a large crowd that's followed, uh, who followed on foot. And when they caught up with him, it says that he was moved with compassion on them to heal the sick, verse 14. And as the evening approached, his disciples reminds him that, hey, we're in a desert place. And, and there's no place for the people to buy any food, in verse 15. And then someone says, we're not told who, someone says, one of the disciples said, well, we only have five loaves of bread here and two fishes in verse 17. So Jesus asked for them. He then took them and he blessed them. And then he broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples who in turn began to distribute them to all the people. And we're told in verse 19 that more than, and this is amazing. Every time I read this, it just, more than 5,000 men plus women and children were fed the loaves of bread, and the fishes. Uh, you know what? That's probably the best fish fry those folks ever had. In verse 22, uh, after feeding the multitude, he instructs the disciples to cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to Bethsaida, Bethsaida um, while he sends the people away. And so the disciples get in the boat, and they begin to go out on the Sea of Galilee. So verse 23 tells us that after the multitude departs, it's now evening, and then he goes up to a mountain to pray by himself. And that's something the Lord did often. He went off somewhere, and he prayed by himself. Well, let's look at the, uh, this, also, this uh, not only happened during the crossing of uh, the Sea of Galilee, but this occurred during a great storm. Uh, there's a great storm. Verse 24 tells us that the disciples are now, they're out on the middle of the Sea of Galilee. That's about three and, a, three and three quarter miles out. And the Sea of Galilee is Israel's largest freshwater land uh, lake. Okay. It's about 13 miles long and about seven and a half miles wide. As they struggled to control the ship, the wind, we're told, became contrary. Uh, it means it was blowing against them. Okay. The Sea of Galilee is more than 690 feet below sea level. To the north, Mount Hermon rises 9,200 feet. And from May to October, the strong winds often sweep through the narrow surrounding gorges over the mountain down in through the valley where the Sea of Galilee is causing extremely sudden and violent storms. It could occur at any time. Now, we've seen the circumstances. Let's look at the cause, all right? The cause for Jesus rebuking them, oh, ye of little faith. What caused the disciples to doubt? Well, they doubted because of, first of all, what they saw. What they saw. First, they saw the storm. We see that in verse 24 and in verse 30. 
And once again, the Lord's disciples are in the middle of a storm. You remember, they were in another storm in another day. You know, it's been said, um, veterans here, Brother Bill, you're a veteran. You were Air Force, weren't you? You were Army, okay. Army? Army, Army yes, okay. Uh, do we have anybody in uh, our church who was Navy? Does anybody know? Brother Tim was Navy. Submarines, that's right. I wish he was here. It's been said that a man's character is often revealed during the storms of life and that storms will make sailors or sissies out of men. I bet he'd like that, wouldn't he? So their ship was tossed by the great raging, boisterous waves. And the word boisterous means powerful and strong. So, what they saw, the storm. Secondly, the spirit. They saw a spirit. Verse 25 and 26 says, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. So, during the fourth watch of the night, uh, that's between 3 and 6 in the morning, I believe. Uh, Jesus came walking on the water. Now, do you know what a watch is? It's not one of these. Okay. Huh? A watch is a segment of time in which soldiers were on guard. So usually there were four watches in the day. So this is the fourth watch. This is coming around early morning now. And they're out there on the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, they see what they think is a spirit. Verse 26 says, they shouted out, it's a spirit. Now the word, the Greek word for spirit here, this is interesting, is the word phantasma. Phantasma. From which we get our word phantom. You hear the word phantom? Which means an apparition uh, or a ghost. They thought they were seeing a ghost. So when the disciples saw him, they were terrified, thinking he was a ghost. Well, let me ask you this. What would you do if you were out on a lake somewhere fishing? Where's the closest lake to go fishing? Kirk Gowdy. Let's say you're out there on a boat fishing. It's late at night. It's dark. And all of a sudden you see somebody or something coming towards you. What would you do? On the water. On You'd put a bucket over your head <laughs> and start rowing, rowing towards shore, right? You'd be terrified. It would. Yeah. If it, especially if it was coming towards you, you would be terrified. Yes, you would. I'm and that's. Sorry, I'd like to say I'm strong. Oh, yeah. Brave. Yeah. Macho. You put a ghost coming towards me. Yeah. I can be terrified. Well, verse 27, we're told that when th then Jesus speaks to them. And he assures them that it's he, it's him, self. And, and they don't have to be afraid. And then in verse 28, just to make sure, you remember Peter, who Peter is? Oh, yeah. He's the mouthpiece of the disciples. He's the one that somebody said, some commentary said, a preacher said, that he's the one who has a mouth shaped like a foot. Always sticking his foot in his mouth. So just to make sure, Peter asks the Lord for permission to come to him. He says basically, okay, Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you. Let me come to you. 
And then in verse 29 and 30, Jesus then says to him one word, Come. Come. And you know that's the invitation that He gives everyone. One word. Come. What was it one of the disciples said to his brother? Come and see the Messiah. It was a simple invitation. So Peter, what does Peter do? He steps out of the boat and he begins to walk toward the Lord. So here's, 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 here's the scene, okay? There's the scene right there. He steps out of the boat and he begins to walk towards the Lord. The Lord invites him to come. And Peter says, okay, Lord, here I come. Ready or not, here, here I come. Well, what happens then? Well, it isn't very long until he realizes what he has done. And then seeing the storm, he begins to sink. And he cries out for the Lord. Save me, Lord! I'm going under. I'm going to Davy Jones' locker. You know what we see here, folks? We see Peter's strength and we see his weakness together. We see his faith and we see his doubt. One moment his faith is strong and he steps out on the water. And then the next moment he loses his faith and he doubts as he sees the circumstances surrounding him. And you know, that's the way it is in our life. If we're not careful, if we get our eyes off of the Lord and begin to look at the circumstances around us, it's not long before we begin to sink. So the storm is raging. It's bad enough being in the boat, but now he's on the sea. And soon, he would be under the sea. And it was a case of going from the frying pan into the fire. How often the storms of life come when God asks us to do something and then our faith is challenged by circumstances and we begin to doubt God. You been there? Verse 31, immediately Jesus reaches out. He takes Peter by the hand. He rebukes him with these words, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Peter, why did you doubt me? But you know what? Although he was speaking directly to Peter, he was also speaking to the other disciples indirectly. Because none of them got out of the ship. None of them asked Jesus if they could come to him. So, Jesus rebukes them because they were filled with doubt because of their unbelief. What does it mean to doubt? Definition is not to believe or trust, not to be sure to feel uncertain. And in Greek, it means to be without a way, to be perplexed, to be pulled in two different directions. I'm sure that we've all heard the expression, oh, he's a doubting Thomas. You ever heard that? You ever use that term? Oh, he's a doubting Thomas. Well, this refers to, we know, one of the Lord's disciples who was not present when Jesus first appeared to the others after His resurrection. And he doubted. Thomas doubted them when they told him of the Lord's appearance. And so we use the expression of a person who who lives their life always doubting. Oh, he's a doubting Thomas, or she's a doubting Thomas. And uh, by the way, uh, this wasn't the only time the disciples doubted. Matter of fact, after His resurrection, many of them doubted. 
Matthew 28, 17 says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them, that means to reproach or rebuke, them with their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. That's in Mark 16, 14. So, when he saw the Savior, Peter stepped out on faith. But when he saw the storm, he began to sink. And you know that will happen in our lives too. When we get our eyes off the Savior. You know what, by the way, you, you can say all you want about Peter's lack of faith. And, and there are many who have criticized him. But one thing is sure, none of the other disciples had faith to step out of the boat. And you know what? In all history, in all of our history, of this world's history, only two men ever walked on water. And Peter was one of them. So don't throw any stones. Let's not throw any stones at Peter for his lack of faith. Here's the cure. All right? What's the cure? I'm glad that the Bible, the Lord Jesus always has a cure for our predicaments. For the circumstances, He has a cure. Hey, Brother... Um, brother... Uh, What's his name? Doug. Brother Doug. Here you go, my brother. Have you got some? Yeah. Okay. All right, this, this one will work. <laughs> so here's the, here's the cure. What can, what can we do when the storms of life come and we find ourselves surrounded by circumstances that cause us to doubt? Number one, remember... That no matter how dark the night the night may get, and, and no matter how hard the trials may be, and no matter how difficult the storm and circumstances are, Jesus sees you and He cares about you. In Mark, Mark tells us in Mark 6, 48, and He saw them. The Lord Jesus has been praying up on the mountain, do you remember? He sees the storm, He created it, and He sees His disciples out there. And He saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the water, and he would have passed by them. David reminds us, in Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. You know, no matter where, no matter where you are, in this world, no matter what you're going through or what the circumstances are, Jesus sees you. Isn't that good? That's comforting. Hey, young people, listen. Mom and dad may not see you. They may not see what you're doing. But remember this, Jesus does. He sees you where you are. He sees what you're doing. He sees what you're saying. That wasn't even in my notes. That's pretty good preaching. Amen? Seriously, He sees us wherever we are. And then, secondly, remember that Jesus is interceding for you. Man, that's great. Maybe nobody else is praying for you, but Jesus is. Isn't that good? So while the disciples were in peril, Jesus was in prayer. We see that in verse 23. And I believe that He was praying for His disciples. And this wasn't the first time He prayed for them. In John chapter 17, the great intercessory prayer, He was praying for them and He's praying for you and I. 
And intercession, it actually means intervention to appeal, to make petition. And it simply means that Jesus represents us before the throne of God. Intercession involves our Lord's representation of His people at the throne of God. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's praying for us, folks. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And then number three, remember to keep your eyes on the Savior. Not on the storms of life. And that's what Peter should have. Peter should have kept his eyes on Jesus. Not on the storm. Not the circumstances around him. Hebrews 12 verse 2 tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then number four, remember who Jesus is. And that's what the disciples, remember in the previous uh, occurrence, they forgot who Jesus was. And so we need to remember who he is. And in verse 32 and verse 33, after the calmness, after he calms the storm, he and Peter are in the boat. And then they all come and they come to their senses and they said, Thou art the Son of God. You're who you say you are. They forgot who he was. They forgot the miracles that they had seen him perform. perform. They forgot that he had power over the sea. They forgot that he was God. And that he created the storm. And that he was still in control. And when they saw what he did, and they remembered who he was, and then they came and worshipped him. And that's what we need to do, folks. So often when the storms of life come, and it seems that we're going under, and we're sinking, we forget who Jesus is. And when he asks us to do something, and we think we can't, we forget who Jesus is. We need to remember what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. When Jesus and Peter came into the boat, the wind stopped. And so did the waves. And the Lord calmed the storm. And He also calmed His disciples. And you know what folks? He'll calm your storm. Whatever storm you go through. He'll calm your storm and He'll calm you. And we need to remember what He has done for us and worship Him. As I began this lesson, I mentioned Pilgrim's Progress and how Christian and Hopeful had been captured by the giant despair. And then he was thrown into the dungeon of Doubting Castle. So would you like to know what happened next for those who haven't read it? Well, on Saturday, about midnight, they began to pray. And they continued in prayer to almost the break of day. Now, a little before it was day, good Christian broke out into this passionate speech. What a fool am I! What a fool I... I, I here I lie in this stinking dungeon when I may as well walk in liberty, at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. 
And then said, hopeful, well, that's good news, good brother. Pluck it out of thy bosom and try it. And so, Christian plucked it out of his bosom. The key called promise. And he began to try at the dungeon door, whose bolt, as he turned the key, gave back, and the door flew open with ease. And Christian and hopeful both came out. Then he went to the outdoor, outward door that leads into the castle yard, and with his key he opened that door also. And after that he went to the iron gate, for that must be opened too. But that lock went desperately hard. Yet the key did open it. Then they thrust open the gate to make their escape with speed. But that gate, as it opened, made such a creaking noise that it waked giant despair, who hastily rising to pursue his prisoners, felt his limbs to fail, so that he could by no means go after them. They went, then they went out and came to the king's highway, and so were safe, because they were out of the giant's jurisdiction. Pilgrim realizes that at this time, that, excuse me, that all the time that he had spent in Doubting, Doubting Castle, he had the key that would deliver him from the prison. And that key was called promise. He had all of God's promises, God's word, including the promises of assurance of salvation and eternal life. So, with the key of God's word, Christian unlocked the doors of the dungeon of Doubting Castle, and he escaped and hope, and they never, to, never returned again. In verse 32 to 33, when Jesus and Peter came into the boat, the wind stopped. The Lord calmed the storm and uh, his disciples' hearts, and then they worshipped him. And so remember this, folks. Whenever storms of life are getting you down and you feel imprisoned in Doubting Castle, causing you to doubt, uh, remember you can escape by using the key called promise. Remember what He has done for you in the past and worship Him regardless of the circumstances. So how's your faith this evening? You going through any storms? You know, a lot of times, uh, that's one of the things, Brother Sam, you've mentioned so many times on Sunday night, about spending time together, getting to know each other. And uh, sometimes we may put on a good face, and everybody thinks that everything's all right, everything's hunky-dory, when it's really not. And that's why we need to spend time with each other like this. Spending time together, studying God's Word, praying together. Remember this, Jesus will calm the storms in your life, and He will also calm you. And also remember this, doubt and faith cannot live in the same heart, because one is contrary to the other. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity, uh, Lord, to see another time, another uh, time when you rebuked your disciples because they doubted you, Lord. They doubted you. Help us not to doubt you. Help us to believe. Increase our faith, Lord. Bless our church family. And Lord, we'll ask that you just do a work in all of our hearts. Maybe there's someone going through a difficult time. I don't know, Lord, but you do. And you know the storms of life that we go through. But we know also that you'll bring us through them. You'll calm the storms. And you'll also calm us. And we ask you to bless the rest of this evening and our prayer time in Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, Amen.